should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. And welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we just can't get Taylor Swift to endorse us. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Bedek, who thinks he can get Ted Nugent on the show, but Ted demands we have several live pigs in the green room and will not tell us why. Bedek! How was the Super Bowl? Yeah, it was alright. It was good. Um... I, I would not know, as I did not watch it. No, you. I mean, you're you're just a college sports guy, right? You just root for the Bears I, and then I you, and then the Berkeley football team. Also, I watch uh, wh- whoever that was is such a good Bears joke. <laughs> Fuck you. You don't have to comment on my body hair every episode, Benedict. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now I watch I watch the big game every year. Uh, uh-huh, but not Stanford. this year. Okay. Uh, Calvary Stanford. I watch it every year. That's the big game, not the Super Bowl. Okay. Big game is Calvary Stanford. That's the one that matters. Okay. 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 Uh, uh, whoever. I think is... in terms of copyright, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> whoever is uh, illegally live streaming it every year is my hero because mm. uh, for the longest time it was only available on the fucking Pac-12 network, uh, which I'm not going to subscribe to. Uh, let's not talk no. about how I may have illegally streamed football games in the past. Benedict. Okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, game was fine. Made potato skins was delicious. And, they get better every year. And but jalapeno. Bo- in them this year. My boy Luda was there. Luda? That was weird. What? Why? Why was it weird? That was the only no, part sure. I saw was the halftime no, show. like Usher being there was weird. Like, why is Usher there? I just Because he's never one understood. of the biggest musical acts of our lifetime. Are, are you not yeah, really? I think I, I know what your okay. problem is. You have not dealt with the fact that we have reached the age where the music of our youth is vintage now. You have not dealt with that fact in your mind. Yeah, no. that's right. <laughs> Nor will I. Uh, no. Yeah. But also, yeah. like, he has a Vegas residency. He barely didn't. He didn't have to go anywhere. He could have gone okay. and performed another show that night. And like, I will also say, whatever he was wearing was clearly too thick. He was sweating profusely. Such a wet face. That gigantic oh my god! Suit they had him in. It was. So I wonder thick if and thick. it was choreographed that he would take off his shirt, or if he was just like, <laughs> "Fuck this." It's Usher. He's know. gonna take off I, clothes. That's it's true. Gonna... I also just think it's always like <clears throat> she seems to be in all of them, but like it's just a waste of Alicia Keys. Like if you're gonna bring out someone who's clearly a better singer well, and more talented musician than you, like don't bring it. Like... I think that's because like during that period in the late '90s, early 2000s, she was on every track. That's she true, was yeah. the go-to. You know, we need a, we hook. need a singing. We need a hook. We need a, a singer yeah. for a hook. She was the we go-to. Need, we need a better singer for this song. <laughs> for like the little bit of the song that people will yes, remember. Yes. <laughs> like I couldn't then, tell you any of of the words of yeah, but I know Luda's verse. I know yeah. Luda's verse. Watch Absolutely. out, my outfit's ridiculous, <laughs> etc. <laughs> Hold him steady. I'm a milk can, the cow. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if it was in my accent? Watch out, my outfit's ridiculous. I really, I really. In the club, looking see. so conspicuous. 
We really need like Stormzy to do a halftime show. Really, <laughs> yeah, really I love need that. that. Be great. You know, he did like a good fucking Grammys performance a few years ago. A uh, Brits, not Grammys. Yeah. He did a good Grammys performance a few years ago. Nice. Uh, not Grammys. I said it again. Brits. <laughs> fuck me. It's, um, it's the same. Come on. It's about the same thing. It's nothing. Yeah, it's about the same thing. But he also called all the politicians liars and thieves and like <laughs> was like, hey, you're going to get mad at me for selling weed, but it's fine for you to just be taking coke all the time just on live tv <laughs> never stop being you never stop yeah. being you Stormzy. Up, uh, <laughs> so you didn't watch it that's boring did not did not watch it at all um okay. i heard some stuff about it but that's about it uh yeah so. I, the conspiracies were fun i enjoyed the conspiracies that yes. kind of ties into our universe oh absolutely um, and like that one it's so dumb right it's such a dumb conspiracy yeah i mean like taylor swift doesn't need the platform of the Super Bowl to endorse Joe Biden. She could sell out a bigger stadium than the Super Bowl was played in. She could also be like, hey, I'm not saying kill Donald Trump supporters, (laughs) but like if they weren't able to vote that day. Taylor Swift could start the uh, Galactic Jihad yeah. <laughs> of the Dune series by just announcing that she wants her fans to purge all of her enemies. She could I, do it. You know, I, I wouldn't put it past her necessarily. <laughs> and- but not that she would do it, but that she has the capability. Like, she has the leverage to do it if she wanted to. You just accused Taylor Swift of being the God Emperor of Dune. Anyways, Benedict! <laughs> There are worse things to be accused of. You've read Dune, right? I remember your wife was yeah. reading it a while ago. I didn't remember. Yeah, yeah, no, you bought it. it for me, I think. Yeah, I just I don't remember if we ever talked about after you finished it. I, I don't think, think we, we ever did. talked about it. Anyways, Benedict, this you probably know what it is. I do. We do here, right? Uh, football stuff. The, the football. Fo- this is this football. This talk is a football podcast. Radio show with Kevin and Benedict. <laughs> this uh, is the not your dad's football <laughs> morning quarterback, whatever. Uh, no, this is your angry uncle's football yeah. Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> uh, but uh, those who don't, folks who have never watched Usher perform live with Luda and Lil John, uh, best I could come up with this week. This, What's Lil John doing? Like, is he just going around yelling "Okay" still, or is that I like... Mean, like that was the joke about him from the two thousands? Is that was all he did? Uh, I mean, is it though? Like, what, is is he an entrepreneur now? Do we know? I presume he is sitting back and enjoying all of his money. Is what I would guess he is doing. Uh, he's got to be getting old, right? He's got to be close to his 50s now. Or 53. Wow. 53. Old dude. Old dude. He's also 5'6", so Lil John is He's a right. short guy. Lil, yeah. Lil works. Lil John, yeah. <laughs> but Benedict, right. to those folks, I would say, this is the show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative literature, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off this week, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, and this comes from my Super Bowl food preparation. Mm-hmm. I think that apart from bread, mm-hmm. which is obviously a big thing, and I understand that, but gluten-free flour is pretty good now. Is it? I haven't yeah. actually tried any of it. Yeah, like if you're not making like a big hunky loaf, mm-hmm. like if you're making like uh, like any kind of like cake that doesn't need a huge amount of stability or like some biscuits, gluten-free flour works pretty well these days. Like the one-to-one King Arthur measure, it's like 
because I we we were baking King for someone Arthur, who has King Arthur is where it's at. That's that's where you go for the good stuff. That's it. We were baking for someone who has celiac, and uh, it's fine. Like I like unless you told me, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And we made some cookies with it a while ago. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same thing. So you I know, think honestly, when it comes to like you know people complain, oh this gluten free is garbage or whatever. Ninety percent of the time, it's like, well, whoever made it didn't know how to make a good version well also like it's different thing. when you're making it fresh versus when they have to like yeah. transport gluten-free stuff across the country if you you know that i i get that that's different but like and i think bread is probably the exception because that has to have a certain amount of yeah. like heft to it but apart from that like i think it's pretty good to be honest i, I don't like gluten. i've had gluten-free bread right usually mm-hmm. it's just like thin and like dry uh, yeah. I don't like it, but but it's gotten better over the years. Is it all? Yeah, it's definitely does? better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that's my uh, that's my baked take. Uh, what's yours? <laughs> uh, mine this week, Benedict. I have lost my interest in sports for the most part. Clearly, I just like yeah. I didn't even the, the Super Bowl was yesterday, and it just didn't even occur to me to try to watch it. Like I just, I'm just like maybe I've reached a point in my life where like that just doesn't interest me anymore. Mm. At all. Like, even, and I think I've done this in the past, like said I've lost my interest in sport, but like, at, at this point, I'm just like, nah, no interest. Don't really, not my thing. If a game is on a TV, I'll sit there and watch, but I'm not going to seek it out. Really. I ever. am the opposite to the extent that if something, like, if anything competitive is on TV, I will become an expert in it by the end <laughs> of that hour. Like it could be competitive cornhole, and by the end of the hour, I will be able, okay. I will be able to tell you the top three cornhole players, who the <laughs> legends are in the game, who didn't get enough championships because they had some kind of weird shit going on. on the Obviously, side. Like, one of the legends of cornhole, Lord Cornwallis. I would yeah, assume. Of course, yeah. I yeah. would assume. <laughs> Famously, uh, threw it threw a lot down a hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Benedict. On housekeeping this week, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod and at NYGBCBen on Twitter. And on Blue Sky, you can find us at NYGBCPod for me and BenYGBC for Benedict on Blue Sky. Thanks again, Benedict. Uh, You're welcome. Updates. No real updates this week. Uh, Things are chugging along nicely, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, By which I mean I'm happy with the level of outlines I have halfway done for the early part of the year right now <laughs> so i anticipate we won't have a whole lot of prager roulette fill-in episodes coming up mm. because i've got some stuff uh being worked on at the moment but i will say and it does relate to this week's episode and you'll figure that out very quickly why uh that obviously we are about to finish manhood by josh Hawley, and then we will be moving on to our next book ted cruz's unwoke uh Dumb name for a title, really. I'm, I don't know yeah. how many times I'm going to say that when we do the book, but that's just the dumbest thing I've ever imagined. In my head, it's just unwoke my heart. I mean, you know, like, like unbreak did, my heart. <laughs> did anyone tell Ted, Ted, you just mean asleep? You yeah. just mean asleep. That's what you mean by the title. Back to sleep, back to sleep, bitches. Just... <laughs> uh, or, yeah, un- un- unwake my mind. That would be a good one. Unwake uh, mama. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Uh, but so anyways, what we are doing this week and next week, we have two introductory episodes for the book coming out, uh, this one and the next one. That is because, of course, I realized somewhere along the way, uh, and we're about to start this episode, but we had never talked about cultural Marxism as a concept where it comes from 
what baggage it carries with it, and it's a lot of baggage. Uh, so that's what we're doing this week, and then next week, finishing up Josh Hawley. Week after mm-hmm. that, we will do our Ted Cruz biography episode, uh, as we always do for all of our authors, and then finally kick it off by getting into the book. So I'm excited. I've looked over the book now. It looks pretty good as far as our standards go, which are admittedly Love. low. <laughs> But I think it's going to be a lot more entertaining uh, than Josh Hawley's book has been for us so far. So, that's out of the way, Benedict. Uh, We have one inductee into the spooky world, New World Order, blah, this week. And that is, and I'm trying to do, you you know, normally a lot of them come from Twitter. uh, But because we both enjoy uh, uh, Blue Sky so much more than Mm -hmm. Twitter, I'm trying to pick some people from over on Blue Sky. So... You know, go uh, go comment on Blue Sky, and uh, maybe you're more likely for the foreseeable future Ooh. to get a shout out for the Spooky World New World Order. Blah. So this week we are giving it to the Honest Teacher. Blue Sky. Social. Mm. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Blah. It's getting to the point where I don't remember what the original clip sounded like. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you <laughs> to save my life. Like, I can hear it in my head, but I don't know if I'm hearing you doing it anymore or if I'm <laughs> hearing Glenn Beck doing it. I honestly don't know. And I, ha- I, I have to go pull the clip for somewhere so I can just do them side by side uh, and listen to them both. That'd be great. But the honest teacher uh, at Blue Sky, you are now. I already did it. I already did it. Why am I going back tell, to it? Tell the, tell the people why. Uh, for, for saying that when I do my Alex Jones voice, <laughs> I sound like a character, I was unaware of this character ahead of time, named Coach Terry from Go Noodle, uh, and I listened to the clip. And you do. I do kind of sound like that. I do really sound like that when I do my Alex Jones. Uh, but anyways, Benedict, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending to us, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. With all that out of the way, Benedict, it is time uh, to get into our episode for this week. Uh, as I mentioned, obviously, this is related to starting Ted Cruz's book because the subtitle of the book, Unwoke, by Ted Cruz is, and I don't know why I always do this, where I hold up the book as though there is an audience sitting here, but I always do this for you. Like, I don't know why, Uh, but the subtitle is How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. And uh, I just figured before we got off uh, to Ted Cruz's book, we define what cultural Marxism is. Boy, we got to talk about it, right? We got to talk about the origins of the term and its use by the right, because, and I'll say this at front, there are some misconceptions there, right? The most important one being many of us on the left, I think, when we hear someone use the term cultural Marxism, we immediately jump to, oh, you're a Nazi and you're saying Nazi things. Mm. The truth is, I think is a bit murkier than that. I do want to up front here say, I do not believe that the vast majority of right-wing figures are just like dorks on the internet. When they use the phrase cultural Marxism, are aware of the similarities and connections to the Nazi propaganda term cultural Bolshevism. I Mm. don't think most of them are aware of that. Now, on the other hand, the figures who we talk about have been involved in right-wing politics way too long and have had Mm. the Nazi connection explained to them far too many times to not be aware of it. Right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you know, there's a very clear, uh, just put the two phrases next to each other and 
understand the basic history of the Nazis called Jews Bolsheviks. Like, it's not, it's not complicated. Yeah, and they, they blamed the Jews for the Russian Revolution. Right. Uh, they, they essentially. Were, yes. Yeah. So, Ted... It's a, bit, it's a bit more complex than that, but not much more complex than that. It's a bit that. more, and we're going to get into it today, right? We're going to talk about it. But Ted, I have no doubt, is aware in some way of the roots of the terms and the implication of it, right? There's and no I think, doubt. Uh, you know, even, even I kind of have a like almost a mimetic understanding of it in the sense that like I, in the same way that like it's associate, they have things they associate it with. I associate the term with, oh, that's what, you know, I I don't really know where it came from. So this will be useful for me as well in terms of the depth. I think it's like kind of what we were talking about last time with Marcus being the, one of the origins of it and the the Franklin school. (laughs) So that brings up, I should also know that maybe we were a bit unfair to Josh Hawley last week, right? Because never, well, (laughs) in this one tiny example here, because we pointed out that he used the German phrase culture Kampf, which Mm -hmm. is not inherently connected to the conspiracy theory of cultural Marxism. But in the context that he used it, Talking about Where he Her- then immediately went on to talk about cultural Marxism. Talk, yeah. yeah, talk about Herbert Marcuse and the Frankfurt School. I think it's fair to say we can read between the lines and know that he was aware of the way he read it. It would be read, and he did it on purpose. I think we mm-hmm. can say that. But I think through Josh and Ted, right, we can see a connection of the idea of cultural Marxism to what is a more overriding uh, form of thought on the right, which is the idea of a culture war. The Sorry, thing- not to spoil the episode, but is that largely like broadly correct that that's where it, that's where it kind no, of comes so from the Frank- culture comp the german no word. no not culture camp ignore culture camps yes. but like the the whole like cultural marxism arises out of the frankfurt school and marcus and a pushback yes. against that yeah okay. generally that is that is where they claim this conspiracy originates from is marcus uh-huh. the frankfurt the franklin school if you're nasty uh yeah, yeah. you know that sort of stuff also marcus from. a bit of a prick honestly <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue. I don't know much yeah. about the guy. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to have to do more and learn. I, this episode, right, it doesn't – I didn't really put down much or research much about the Frankfurt School. A, yeah. we've had that before in prior books. At some point, we're going to have to do, like, the actual things that these people are talking about in their books and be like, okay, yeah. here's, like, what the, like, here's what it actually is. Well, Maybe but- we're going to Alex Jones ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that the concept, the conspiracy theory, and I will say up front – Culture of Marxism is a conspiracy theory. That is mm-hmm. what it is. Um, it doesn't actually have much to do with the Frankfurt School. Because what it really is, is these people just pointing out things that it, it's just, it's the same as woke. It's the same mm-hmm. as woke. Pointing at things they don't like and saying cultural Marxism is the gist of it. Now, there is an intellectual, and I use intellectual in heavy air quotes, right? intellectual undergirding in the same way that there are intellectual forms of white supremacy in the sense that people have spent the time to sit down and write out a whole bunch of nonsense about it, right? But there is that, I think for the vast majority of people who use the term, it's just a shibboleth. It's just woke. It's Mm -hmm. just all that same shit that they throw out. Shibboleth, not a term you hear much anymore, but one I like. Yeah, you're welcome. I like that. Congratulations. Ah. Well done. I like to get complimented for my vocabulary. I know. (laughs) That is a $350,000 vocabulary based on my <laughs> law school tab. Uh, <laughs> did you even but, learn that in law school? Or did you already have shit left in the back pocket? It's a term you see in law from time to time, but also like just in academic sure. writing, people try and use more complicated words than they need to. Yeah, but that's one, that does, that's one that does fit in certain places, and it does fit for things like woke 
and cultural Marxism. Like it does, mm. it does make sense. Uh, but anyway, so uh, because so I think for anyone who looks at like the policy positions asserted by the right, right, we see that culture war is really other than like tax cuts for the rich. That's what they care about. It's culture war shit. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I'm not even sure that, that. Well, I mean, they probably do care about it, but that's what they campaign on. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, you know, I, I think you could make an argument one way or the other about whether they actually care about this stuff, but it's certainly a. Uh, I, it, it's a flashpoint. You know, it's 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 a hook for them to to say, look at the, how they're taking your traditions away or yes. whatever. I think it is what the body of the right, the the corpus, if you will. The it. It's the it and the <laughs> ego of the right, yeah. I think it's what they care about. The people at the top, the Ted Cruz's, I don't think they generally, well, Ted, he is a Christian fundamentalist, so we'll talk Maybe. about that at a later TBD. This, okay. This is just a, a little, a little sideshow here, right? They talk about culture war bullshit a lot. But so while the phrase cultural Marxism may not have a direct link to the Nazi propaganda in the sense that it's been like consistently used over the last century and clearly developed from that, it still definitely and indisputably has its root uh, in deeply racist and anti-Semitic thought. Mm. So let's start today by going back to Germany in the early part of the last century. So these... Ba- these <laughs> Not something you ever want to have to do. It never ends well. <laughs> So these bad cats were in charge at the time. Then. These bad cats. Bad cats. Not, and you know, not bad cool cats, cats could be slang for good things, but no. no <laughs> not not like time. a bad motherfucker, no. but no. like an actual bad like motherfucker. A, like like, bad, like a bad cat. Exactly. Uh, they called themselves Nazis. You might have heard of them before. Mm. Um, and the Nazis... What did that... What was that short for, Kevin? National Social... I'm not allowed to say the second half. Nobody no. knows this, Benedict. Because nobody, nobody knows it. We're not nobody allowed knows. to tell people about the second half of that phrase there. Uh, but so the Nazis, national socialites—that's what they were. <laughs> <laughs> they just really believed that all high society parties should be held in one country, <laughs> <laughs> and that only whites should be invited. Oh uh, yes, obviously. <laughs> also, yeah, duh. So we talked before about the Nazis' uh, hatred for modern art, in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Probably related in some way to Hitler being an art school failure. Yeah, right? how much of that is just Hitler failing to get into art school? I like? honestly don't know. I, I, you know, I didn't look deeply into that, but I suspect there's got to be a link there, right? It's like it's like at least twenty five percent, right? Surely, right? Because I don't think we talked before about like the Bauhaus and all that uh, with modern art in Germany around the time of the Nazis, but like. Hitler, it was really probably had to be his impetus for, like, banning the Bauhaus and just going after modern art. I can't imagine another reason why. Uh, but, and as we'll talk about in a minute, it definitely mattered personally to Hitler. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to be reading some excerpts of Mein Kampf today. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we do a weird show, Benedict. We do, Have you yeah. ever thought about that, how we do a weird show? Uh, I think about that twice a day. <laughs> But also, I think, undeniably related uh, to all this was the Nazi scapegoating and persecution of Jews and Marxists, which often came to the Nazis accusing Jews of being Marxists. I think it's hard Mm -hmm. to escape that. But on a very concrete level for the Nazis, the issue of cultural Bolshevism, as they called it, that was the term. So, sorry, can you... um, So, this all was post-Russian Revolution. Yes. So this is the... So 19- this is... The, I, I, we're in the I 1930s right now. I think you're conflating the term at this point 
mar- cultural Marxism and cultural and, Bolshevism. Well, so I, I just want to make sure we're being is that the term we'll, we'll get into it. We're on a timeline here, right? Cultural Bolshevism wasn't actually a term that came about until the 30s. Right. The okay, but I, but you were talking about cultural Marxism in the 30s, and I'm not sure that that existed. Well, at this so point. the the term did not exist, but I will say that I think that the concepts existed, sure. and they later were given a name, and that name was the German is like cultural Bolshevismus. My German is not great, but I'm just going to use cultural it's Bolshevism because I can pronounce that. Yeah. Uh, but so in chapter 10, well, I, I was saying before you rudely interrupted. Uh, it was I'm really just asking questions. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Go ask Alex Jones. Yeah. Uh, the issue of cultural Bolshevism, cultural Marxism, whatever we want to call this term that was undefined at the time, was really about taste in art and architecture. So in chapter 10 of Mein Kampf, Jesus Christ, I'm about to read this. Yeah. Hitler wrote, quote, the Bolshevization of art is the only cultural form of life and the only spiritual manifestation of which Bolshevism is, Bolshevism is capable. And then he continued, Anyone to whom this statement may appear strange need only take a glance at those lucky states which have become Bolshevized, and to his horror he will there recognize those morbid monstrosities which have been produced by insane and degenerate people. All those artistic aberrations which are classified under the names of Cubism and Dadism since the opening of the present century are manifestations of art which have come to be officially recognized by the state itself. This phenomenon made its appearance even during the short-lived period of the Soviet Republic in Bavaria. At that time, one might easily have recognized how all the official posters, propagandist pictures, and newspapers, etc. showed signs not only of political, but also of cultural decadence. Okay, but Dadaism fucks. Counterpoint. <laughs> like, we just need to send you back in a time machine. Like, Have you considered yo, Adolf? Yo, Addy, Dadaism fucks, bro. <laughs> I think that would have turned everything around. I think that would. Yeah, maybe. But essentially, the bulk of that chapter of Mein Kampf is dedicated to these ideas of cultural degradation, as Hitler saw it in Germany during the Weimar period which includes him talking about all these art forms he doesn't like, a lot about architecture. And I really have to say, on like a very understated level, it really sounds like Tucker Carlson. It's the same shit Tucker's complaining about today. Yeah, it's also funny that he's like, oh, the Bolsheviks are winning wherever uh, Dada and Cubism, which is Paris. Like... (laughs) (laughs) So nothing uh, to do with Russia. There's no Bolshe is in fucking yeah, yeah. Paris. And I want to read you just one more quote from Mein Kampf, because I think you'll agree with me uh, that but for the particularities of like phrasing, it could be a Tucker Carlson monologue. And it is quote. Okay. If we study the course of our cultural life during the last 25 years, we shall be astonished to note how far we have already gone in this pro- process of retrogression. Everywhere we find the presence of those germs which give rise to protuberant growths that must sooner or later bring about the ruin of our culture. Here we find undoubted symptoms of slow corruption and woe to nations that are no longer able to bring that morbid process to a halt. In almost all the various fields of German art and culture, those morbid phenomena may be observed. Here everything seems to have passed the culminating point of its existence and to have entered the curve of a hasty decline. At the beginning of the century, the theaters seemed almost degenerating, and ceasing to be cultural factors, except the court theaters, which opposed this prostitution of the national art. With these exceptions, and also a few other decent institutions, the plays produced on the stage were all of such a nature that the people would have benefited by not visiting them at all. 
A sad symptom of decline was manifested by the fact that in many of the art centers, which is in scare quotes, the mm. sign was posted on the entrance doors for adults only. Um. There's a lot in there that, to my mind, and maybe people will disagree with me, sounds like the same beats that Tucker Carlson is hitting. Our, our society is in collapse. This is being done on purpose. This is being done to you. All of our cultural institutions are degenerate. These, these are things that Tucker yeah, talks Yeah, I mean, about. I think that's probably, for Hitler, I, that's specifically brief beef with Brecht and the Brechtian <laughs> school, I think. It's, he's just mad at Bertolt Brecht, I think. He was. He was a lot. Uh, and so the Nazis from that point, from, from that point, from the point they took power, engaged in a program of banning and persecuting art they believed to be Bolshevik in nature. And mm. I also just want to point out here at the beginning that a lot of what we're going to talk about we've touched on in the past, right? Particularly... Um, our episode where we tried to define fascism, where I discussed mm -hmm. the Nazi hatred of modern art yep. and the degenerate art expedition exposition that the uh, Nazis held in 1937. That's so, sort of, yeah, go ahead. How, how, how does this transition from an art thing to a broader cultural thing then? So we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. We'll talk about it. It's almost like you don't care about the questions that I ask <laughs> and just want to read from the fucking outline that you've written. Well, so... I, uh, as far as I, I think that while the Nazi, this version, this early version, the version mm -hmm. that Hitler, Hitler was writing about in Mein Kampf, is very focused on art, later folks would come along and expand that view, and we're going to get to okay. one here in in just a second. So I just okay. didn't, I don't want to you know throw it out there ahead of time, uh, but I also do want to plug uh, the Pharos blog at Vassar College, P H A R O S, uh, which is I've I've mentioned before, and it's really just incredible in its coverage of the far right attempting to co-opt classical imagery. Uh, mm -hmm. Go check it out. It'll be in the show notes. I just Yeah, there's a lot of that whatever happened to Western civilization uh, art or Western art shit yeah. on Twitter these days. Yeah, and that, that ties into what we're talking about today with cultural Marxism, cultural Bolshevism, all that sort of stuff. So I went there. I didn't find anything particularly relevant to today's episode, but I spent like a solid half hour just reading through stuff yesterday. And God, I love that website. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It's so really good. Uh, but the campaign against cultural Bolshevism, as it came to be known, uh, was wider than just art and architecture, right? It was mm -hmm. a culture war. And one of the very well-known quotes from the right that I think many know is from blogger Andrew Breitbart, that mm -hmm. politics is downstream from culture. And mm -hmm. to you and I, that quote means one thing, right? Namely, that politics are influenced by the culture of the society. For those on the right, I think, and to the Nazis in the 30s, it means something. I'm not saying the Nazis had that phrase, but I think they, what they did tracks with that idea. I think it meant something a little bit different, which is that they believed you could change people's politics by forcibly changing the culture. And I think that because both the Nazis I think those and are, are the modern American right, let me finish, they both, they both tried to do it. And they're trying right now. I think to an extent those are the same point though. It's just it, it's just well, uh, w one sees culture as artificial and controllable, and the yes. other sees it as a natural evolution and and always changing. That's the distinction, yes. And I think that's clearly a, without censorship, the latter is clearly true. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's that's why they're mad about the Hollywood elites and the university right. elites, and because they think that they're controlling the culture rather than reflecting the culture. Right. Or observing the culture, rather. Uh, you know, all Hollywood elites 
to to the extent that that exists are doing is reflecting the zeitgeist back at itself so they see people liking a certain type of movie and they make more of that type of movie they're not like we're gonna force this down people's throats when they don't want it they're like this is what people want i think think that does happen yeah no i think i i I think you're right but i think i you know it's capitalism at the end of the day they're not going to make movies that they don't think people will watch Yes, sure. Like they right. think there's an audience for it because something has told them in their market research that there's an audience for it, right? right. At the end of the day. And then sometimes they'll just uh, take a movie that I really wanted to see and uh, sweep it under the rug and delete it forever. Thanks. Did you really want to see Wally Coyote? I really did. I really did want to see that. <laughs> I miss old slapstick cartoons like that. I was really hoping it would come out and I'd get to see it someday. I'm disappointed in that one. I really wanted to see it. But so they, you know, the the modern American right, they want to remake the entire culture, right? In Mm -hmm. part, maybe, because they have a legitimate, in terms of real, not like legitimate, difference Mm -hmm. in taste compared to everyone else. An actual difference Actual difference is a better term. But in part, maybe the stronger part, because they do believe that they can craft culture and thereby politics in their image if they do so. Uh, and there's another connection that I think is worth being aware of, right? We've talked in the past about Steve Bannon. And one of Steve Bannon's favorite philosophers, who he's recommended to others and has leaked emails that we're praising, is the fascist philosopher Julius Evola. Mm-hmm. Benedict, would it surprise you to learn that Evola is the person who came up with the term cultural Bolshevism? Nope. Nope. Wouldn't surprise much of anybody, would it? But in fact, yes, he is the one. Uh, and Benedict, I don't read Italian. Uh, but perhaps you can use your lo- knowledge of Latin to yes, translate for us uh, the okay. title of this article, which uh, Avola published in 1938. It is named Sui Limiti del Bolshevismo Culturale. Okay, on the limits of cultural Bolshevism, <laughs> then, I guess. Yeah, Steve Bannon's favorite philosopher, everybody. Literal fascist. Isn't it great that so we when, can... Sorry, when was that written? That was 1938. Okay. That's and I don't late. know if that is when the term was crafted, but that is when he published an article with the term. No, it is generally it, I, it's yeah. generally accepted that he is the propagator of the term. I don't know if anyone knows like when the first use of the term is. Uh, I yeah. Well, I I think uh, yeah, maybe the term I, I, the term specifically. I think 1938 is a bit late for that. Sure, but he he might have been using it earlier, right? Um, but. To sum up the Nazi view of cultural Bolshevism that I think will pretty clearly show the link between it and the modern cultural Marxism conspiracies as we get into that in a little bit, here's a quote from Joseph Goebbels from a speech he gave oh, in good. 1935. Just before you do, yeah. um, I, I quickly Googled Evola because I think it's funny to do this while you talk um, <laughs> so that I have something to say and sound smart. He was a Dadaist painter yes! before he was a fascist philosopher. <laughs> I didn't put that in my notes, but I was like, where does, the, how do you, what? What are you doing, bud? What are you doing? He's a fascist. Well, it's all the man. fucking failed artists that are like, well, art is clearly bad. Oh, Benedict. Oh, God. That makes me want to spoil something I have for next week that you're going to be, okay. that is going to make you fall out of your chair laughing. Okay. I, all right. I, I, don't, I don't spoil that. I don't want to don't do spoil it. That. Not don't next spoil week, that. but the week after. It'll be, it'll okay. be so great. It'll be so great. Uh, but I also do want to plug uh, the YouTube video, How Cultural Marxism Became the Far-Right Scapegoat by Three Arrows, which is fantastic and where, where I got this quote from. Uh, it reads, quote, It, meaning Bolshevism, is not only anti-bourgeois, it is anti-cultural. 
It means the final consequence, the absolute destruction of all economic, social, state, cultural, and civilizing advances made by Western civilization for the benefit of a rootless and nomadic international clique of conspirators who have found their representation in Jewry. You take out that last bit about Jews there, you're not far off from just a Republican speech. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just... <laughs> the Nazis, as I mentioned, saw Bolshevism and Marxism as Jewish in nature, right? There was no escaping them that if you use the term cultural Bolshevism, um, which might... That might explain why uh, they don't use that term anymore. People, mm. uh, it's a more obvious connection why they don't use that one. Um, and I do want you to compare the quote that I just read to you to this quote uh, that I'm about to read to you, which is from this book, Benedict, uh, Pat Buchanan's Death of the West. Great. Yes. And it reads, quote, To the new Marxist, the path to power was nonviolent and required decades of patient labor. Victory would come only after Christian beliefs had died in the soul of the Western man. And that would happen only after the institutions of culture and education had been captured and conscripted by allies and agents of the revolution. It's, um, have I mentioned before that Pat Buchanan's a Nazi? Have I mentioned that? Yeah. Feels like, feels like I had. Yeah, uh, I think so. I, and we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about Pat Buchanan a little bit more later. So after the Nazis got their asses handed to them in World War II, the phrase cultural Bolshevism went into a period of hibernation, other than with, like, extreme right-wing figures who were open Nazi supporters, uh, Francis Parker Yockey, Willis Cardo, people like that. It wasn't until the 1990s that the phrase cultural Marxism, as we know it today, came into popular usage among the right. And one of the earliest pieces I was able to find on this topic is a 2003 article in the Southern Poverty Law Center magazine by Bill Berkowitz. Uh, It'll be linked in the show notes, and it informs a good portion of the episode today. It begins, Television commentator Pat Buchanan says it is being used to de-Christianize America. Washington heavyweight... William Lind claims it is turning U.S. college campuses into ivy-covered North Koreas. Retired naval commander Gerald Atkinson fears it has invaded the nation's military academies. Immigration activist John Vinson suggests it aims to distort and destroy our country. Cultural Marxism, described as a conspiratorial attempt to wreck American culture and morality, is the newest intellectual bugaboo on the radical right. Cool. It's a fun name. Surprisingly, there are signs that this bizarre theory is catching on in the mainstream. So they were ahead of the times back then. Couldn't be written these days. Nobody's surprised now. <laughs> that is the thing is we really aren't surprised anymore, are we? Uh, but the article identifies as early as 2003 a number of far-right figures who have crafted and disseminated the conspiracy theory about cultural Marxism um, a- a- into... Right, they, they've, they've created this. I don't, want to say, I don't even want to say they've created it, because really they've just taken from the Nazis, right? The, half these people we're talking about here have connections to open white supremacists or are themselves. But they crafted this cultural Marxism anti-Semitic conspiracy theory where Jewish figures are plotting to subvert Western Christian culture to bring in a form of Marxism, which is, you know, cultural Marxism. Mm. Um, and I do also want to credit an article in the academic journal Religion Compass, uh, from January 2018 by Jerome Hamin. I don't know. He's Belgian. I have no idea. J-A-M-I-N. Uh, titled Cultural Marxism, a survey, which unfortunately I had to pay 18 fucking dollars for just for digital access. Go fuck yourself, Wiley. Go fuck yourself. 
so I can't share it with anybody. Uh, but still, uh, it's a great overview of the culture of Marxism. <laughs> so patreon.com forward slash NYTBC <laughs> to fund Kevin's academic research. No, I'm going to start a new Patreon that is aimed at bringing down everyone who runs an academic journal and gatekeeps fucking access to it. We were saying this before the show, but I kind of also believe it, that this is why bad information wins. I I think on some, like, how many of the people who have bad ideas are actually going to go read an academic journal article? Not many. That's true, but it would help if it came up and was available. Like, even if it's just at the margins, like, it shouldn't be behind paywalls because the shit stuff never is. It, yeah, I, I agree. I just don't know how much impact it would actually have. Yeah. Uh, but so the roots of this early 90s beginning of a new phrase, cultural Marxism as a conspiracy theory, has its roots in some places that we as a show are pretty familiar with at this point, mm-hmm. right? So the theory posits that a group of Jews who fled Nazi Germany in the 20s and 30s set up the Frankfurt School, uh, Franklin, as mentioned previously, uh, and set forth as their goal to convince Americans that being white is evil, sexual liberation is good, Western traditional values are bad, the fa- all the stuff, everything it's, they it, think. It, that, I mean, it, that's like protocols level bullshit, yeah. right? That's like the, it, it, I mean, it, quite literally, it's, it's, you know, a secret society with like the memo got leaked of what they're trying to achieve. Like it is literally it's like very, that level of... I have it later in my notes, but I compared it to the protocols a little later. Yeah, it literally I mean, is, it in is. my mind, it's a rebirth of the protocols. As mm-hmm. so many conspiracies about the Jews are, it's a reiteration of the protocols. And right, the protocols weren't the first form of that conspiracy theory. They're just a very high, high profile, written down form that people talk about a lot because obviously the Nazis loved the protocol. So very much. Yeah. And I mean, it was probably the, uh, you know, it was very widespread uh, because it was the age of the, you know, around the age of mm-hmm. information. That, Henry that Ford reprinted yeah. them and, and all that stuff that happened. We talked about that. We have a whole episode about the protocols. You can go back and yep. listen to it if you want to. Uh, but so it's not surprising that we see the term cultural Marxism being bandied about today, given that those Three, those things that I talked about are just reactionary right-wing talking points. That's all it is. And this is just a phrase they've come up to squeeze those into. Uh, but according to the Berkowitz article, uh, and I think defensively so, cultural Marxism as a talking point comes from an earlier moral panic catchphrase in the 1990s. Politically okay. correct. Interesting. Which which I think, you know, probably you, but definitely me, is a phrase I'm familiar with being raised in a conservative household. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, in the UK, there's there was politically correct. I think we had a bigger mon- moral panic about, like, health and safety regulations. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a fun moral panic that we had. I don't really see, uh, and I'm sure you'll tell me, I don't really see the connection between political correctness and, and We're gonna cultural Marxism. We're going to go down that road right okay, now, all right, let's buddy. do We're it. We're going to go down that road. Uh, so the phrase political correctness probably first launched into the public consciousness in the early 1990s and did it the... ever did it ever mean anything other than like don't say slurs to people's faces like... really well it, it see the term uh here's the funny thing about it it is most commonly to my recollection from my conservative parents used like mockingly about the left mm. i don't think anyone on the left ever used the phrase be politically correct bro I don't think that's a thing that really happened anywhere, but it's something that the right glommed onto and used to describe the left. Yeah, basically saying, hey, maybe don't yell racial slurs at people. Maybe don't do that uh, and stuff like that. That's probably something along those lines. But this, uh, what I'm about to play for you, 
was a 1991 commencement speech given by the first President George Bush uh, at the University of Michigan, in which he said this. The freedom to speak one's mind, that may be the most fundamental and deeply revered of all our liberties. Jesus Christ, that voice. A bad speaking voice. It's not great. How did he ever get elected? I know. Yeah, even his after son. fucking Reagan. Yeah, even, even his son had a better speaking Idiot voice than that. Idiot W had a fucking better it's voice so, than that. It's so nasally. He's such a nasally hey, hey, guy. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Americans, to debate, to say what we think, because you see it separates good ideas from bad. It defines and cultivates the diversity upon which our national greatness rests. It tears off the ignorance, the blinders of ignorance and prejudice, and lets us move on to greater things. Ironically, on the 200th anniversary of our Bill of Rights, we find free speech under assault throughout the United States, including on some college campuses. The notion of political correctness has ignited controversy across the land. And although the movement arises from the laudable desire to sweep away the debris of racism and sexism and hatred, it replaces old prejudice with new ones. It declares certain topics off limits. What topics, George? <laughs> what to That's the thing, whenever these people complain about this shit, they never want to answer the question of what is it you want yeah, what to say. What can't you say anymore? Yes, because the answer is usually racial slurs. Yeah. Certain expression off limits, even certain gestures off limits. I don't know what he's referring to. <laughs> I with just imagine him doing the jag off sign. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have won my vote. A president doing the jerk you off sign. You can't yeah. even do this anymore. <laughs> This is not good podcasting, but it's very funny to me. <laughs> what began? By the way, he was being protested throughout this entire speech, which is why you hear a lot of this laughing and people yelling at all this stuff going on. It's great. What began as a crusade for civility has soured into a cause of conflict and even censorship. Disputants treat sheer force, getting their foes punished or expelled, for instance, as a substitute for the power of ideas. Ideas. So, ideas. He's the first one to do it. But so, ideas. That, I mean, that could be just any Republican giving a speech today. There's now. Nothing, nothing yeah, has yeah, changed. Yeah. Nothing has changed at all. What's new is old. What's old is new. It's all the same. Uh, but I do find it fascinating that whenever people do that sort of speech, they speak in the highest level of abstraction they can. They, speak they ironically terms. speak in euphemisms, yes, which they is do. what they accuse the politically correct people of doing. They don't ever actually get into what it is they are describing they are mad about. So Maureen Dowd, a writer for the New York Times, uh, in an article she wrote about this speech, thankfully gives us a little bit of detail on what might have been going on that he was talking about there. Uh, that article says, quote, The speech to Michigan graduates reflected the influence of the president's new head speechwriter, Anthony Snow, a former editorial writer for the Washington Times, who was hired to bring a harder edge and ideological spirit to Mr. Bush's speeches as he moves towards the 1992 election. 
Cool. Skipping down a little bit in that article, it says, Political correctness originated as an ironic term for a broad range of generally liberal attitudes, especially in support of expanded rights for women, ethnic minorities, and homosexuals. But it has been seized by many conservatives and traditionalists on campus and off as a term of derision for those who espouse such attitudes to the exclusion of other rights, especially free speech. In one celebrated case this academic year, Brown University expelled a student who shouted racist slurs, mm. touching off a debate about freedom of speech on campus. <laughs> in New York in March, a city college faculty committee rebuked two professors, one black and the other white, for comments about racial superiority. The case raised the question whether academic freedom included the right to espouse inflammatory teachings and beliefs about race and culture. So that's the type of stuff. That's uh, that's the speech that's being limited there by that PC yeah. culture. You, yeah, I, I don't think this is news to either of us. No. Uh, but through that speech, right, you can see that even the mocking term political correctness had connection to issues of racism on college campuses and the faux free speech wars that were going on back then. And the contemporary source, the beginning of the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory, connects also to a guy who we have not talked about at all or much. I can't remember if we ever did on the show. So I'm excited for that. Lyndon LaRouche. Are you familiar? I know the name. Okay. Lyndon Hermile LaRouche Jr. These people were all bullied <laughs> as children, for sure. And that's why they ended up the way that they were. Oh, the fucking... God, I honestly know. I have a different theory. Is that if you give your kid a fucked up middle name, it's going to fuck him up for life. Yeah, that's it's nominative it determinism. He ended up a Harouche. <laughs> Um, but so Lyndon Hermile LaRouche Jr. Uh, was born in 1922 in Rochester, New Hampshire. And his early life, he was associated with Trotskyist movements uh, up and th through the 1950s and 60s. But in the late 70s, he embraced the far right. And that's where he really took off and got popular. Uh, mm. So he created an organization in 1968, back when he was still on the left, called the National Caucus of Labor Committees, uh, originally for the purpose of getting control over SDS, the Students for Democratic Society. Uh, but that failed, and he transformed the organization into what has often been and I will describe as a cult. It's a fucking cult. Cool, yeah, awesome, yep. We're going to have an episode about right-wing cults someday, and I'm super excited for that. That's going to be so much fun to get to do that one. I'm really excited. So members of the NCLC gave up their jobs to work full-time for it and apparently operated as a sort of intelligence network. He had a lot of connections to high places. Mm -hmm. And in 1973, he created a political organization called the U.S. Labor Party. Uh, and then by the time we get to the late 70s, both of these groups have shifted to become far-right neo-fascist organizations. Uh, um, so in 1992, right. <laughs> a, an acolyte of Lyndon LaRouche, a man named... Another good word. You're really using a lot of good words in this episode. I have words, Benedict. I, I have the bestest sure. words. Okay. But this man named Michael Minesino, uh, who was involved in the LaRouche movement, he wrote an essay titled New Dark Age, The Frankfurt School and Political Correctness which was published by uh, this thing called the Schiller Institute, which was a LaRouchean mm -hmm. think tank, which has been identified as an anti-Semitic outlet by the Times of London, Berliner Zeitung, among others. It's very clearly... I, I like, he's not even hiding it. All the names of Jews are bolded in the mm. article. It's not hiding. That's like one step up from the three uh, three. <laughs> well, they hadn't come up with the three parentheses yeah, back fair. then. Um, and I'll link to an archived version of the article in the notes so you don't have to actually go to the website and 
give them a click or whatever. But yeah, he's not hiding it at all. It is a long, long article, basically outlining like the broad framework of the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory, as we've talked about. A bunch of these folks with the Frankfurt School came over trying to destroy the culture, make people open to Marxism, yada, yada, yada. And it makes clear to me anyways that the roots of modern cultural Marxism as a term and a conspiracy still rest in racism and anti-Semitism, just like cultural Bolshevism, right? So just so many of the figures associated with the birth and development and and moving this out into the broader culture are either open anti-Semites or so closely associated with anti-Semitism. It's just undeniable. And the article, the article does end with a very funny line to me, which reads, quote, when Lyndon LaRouche and six of his colleagues faced trial on trumped-up charges in 1988, LaRouche mm. identified that the prosecution would rely on the Frankfurt School's authoritarian personality fraud to claim that the defendant's intentions were inherently criminal. During the trial, LaRouche's defense attorney did, attempted to demonstrate the Frankfurt School roots of the prosecution's conspiracy theory, but he was overruled by Judge Albert Bryan Jr., who said... I'm not going back into the early 1930s in opening statements or in the testimony of witnesses. <laughs> good old Albert Bryan. Good on, good on you. Lyndon LaRouche was indicted on credit card charge, <laughs> credit card fraud charges. That's great. To the tune of millions of dollars, to be fair. Millions of dollars of credit card fraud. I'm not entirely sure on the story because I haven't done like the level of research I would do into him to do an episode, but like something to do with he was defrauding a bunch of followers. Like, Something maybe like getting them to sign up for credit cards again, yeah. That he would then like getting credit cards in their name, maybe through like information they were giving him about them to sign up for the organization, and then just using those credit cards and never paying them back. And (laughs) and he wanted to argue about the Frankfurt School's authoritarian personality thing during his trials. Like, dude, they wouldn't let him have that many credit cards. (laughs) That's that was the problem. They were well, treading yes. on his freedom of speech to have a thousand credit cards. The other really funny thing about LaRouche and him, his uh, criminal trial is that he blamed it on Risa Gorbachev, wife of Mikhail. Sure. Uh, <laughs> he also, throughout his life, like he claimed that the queen was trying to assassinate him uh, and all this stuff. He's such an interesting dude. I really want to talk about him. He also got 25,562 votes in the 1988 presidential election because, of course, he was a perennial candidate, too. Of course he was. But the gist of the cultural Marxist conspiracy theory, as laid out in that 1992 article, complains about all the things, modern art, abandonment of Christianity, and replacing everything that Americans know and love with socialism. But there are also some other big figures who have had an outsized role in promoting or developing the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory. Uh, Those include people like Paul Weyrich, uh, you may have heard of before because he is a co-founder of the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, Um, He is also uh, a founder of the Free Congress Foundation and the American Legislative Exchange Council, known as ALEC. Um, (laughs) He also founded the Committee for the Survival of a Free Congress with his right-hand man, Laszlo Pastor. Ciao. Laszlo was a member of the Hungarian pro-Nazi Aerocross Party. And Look, had collaborated who with Germans hasn't in World War II. Been a member of a Hungarian Nazi party. Me. You, you can't I be have named <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, you can't be named Laszlo and not have like at least been adjacent hey, to the Hey, Hungarian. hey, how dare you? How dare you talk bad about Matt Berry? How dare you? Know, you? Uh, you know that Laszlo was in the Nazi party at some point by accident. You know accident. what? I don't think they've ever addressed like all the vampires on what we do in the shadows did live through World War II. 
Yeah, what? Nobody, I mean, I guess they were in America at the time. Yeah. They came in the early 1900s. But yeah. it feels like Laszlo would have maybe been a sympathizer. You never know. You never know. Well, I feel like Laszlo would have been confused and thought it was a different type of party. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what he would have gotten into. Uh, but so, yes, along with his good buddy, Nazi Laszlo Pastor, he founded this survival uh, Committee for Survival of Free Congress. Uh, Laszlo had, of course, spent five years in prison for crimes against humanity during World War II because of his connection with the Arrow Cross. <laughs> because Party. of the aforementioned Nazi connections? Yes, yes, that is why. Um, Paul Weyrich, though, was first and foremost a Christian fascist. Um, who, who, like, ter- he came up with the term moral majority for Jerry Falwell. He's the one who came up with okay. it. Okay. And I guess, this is just a guess about his motivations, right? That, and based on a little bit of reading what he had to say about it, that his justification or reason for why he relied on this term, why he promoted this term cultural Marxism, was to support his core argument that the Christian right needed to separate themselves from mainstream society also probably included Jewish society, as he would imagine it, because I have no doubt he's, he, he is a Nazi collaborator collaborator. That is, uh, <laughs> that is what oh. Paul Weyrich is. Uh, but he also had plenty of direct connections to anti-Semites himself. In 2002, he gave a speech to a Holocaust denial conference run by Willis Cardo, who I think we've talked about before, uh, founder of Liberty Lobby, in which he said, according to the SPLC article about the event, quote, after talking about the Frankfurt School uh, and, and the conspiracy theory about cultural Marxism, he said, quote, these guys were all Jewish, which got applause. Okay, yeah, that seems right. And to be fair, I guess, he also followed that up by saying, quote, I do want to make it clear for the foundation and myself that we are not among those who question whether the Holocaust occurred. I guess he just thought it was good. Is the only conclusion I can reach. Yeah. 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 But for the Free Congress Foundation, uh, Paul Weyrich hired a guy named William S. Lind, who is also a weird cat. Uh, he's a paleocon nut job, but also, and this is weird, a huge Amtrak supporter who wants conservatives to support government-funded mass transit. Very strange. That's Very, weird. Very it's strange. weird how, like, the, the holes people put themselves in. Yeah, I mean... Dude could just be really into trains. You never know. You know, it you wouldn't be wrong have to, to hand it to, to him. So you do be, not yeah. have to hand it to him. Uh, he's also written for Lou Rockwell, one of our famous favorite uh, JBS types, uh, who along we know about Rockwell, along with Murray Rothbard, actively worked to create a coalition of anti-Semites and racists to support Ron Paul, and probably Rand now, although I haven't checked in on them in a while. Maybe they're just all about Trump. They probably are. I don't know what they're doing with Rand anymore. Rand... Does anyone remember Rand Paul anymore? I feel like he's not as relevant uh, as he used to be. Only for having been beaten up by his neighbor, I think. That's, the, <laughs> that's his last claim to fame. Yeah, I think that was the last time anybody gave a shit. Uh, but in 1999, uh, Lyndon Weyrich's organization, the Free Congress Foundation, produced a video named Political Correctness, colon, The Frankfurt School, mm-hmm. which I was sadly unable to find. But you see, you asked earlier about the connection between political connectness, correctness and cultural Marxism. This is showing how that developed, right? They are they are connecting the ideas in their minds. I'm not saying there's a logical connection, but they're mm. connecting them in their Okay, minds. so the, the answer is they're not really connected. <laughs> <laughs> connected in as much as crazy anti-Semites think they're connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was... It, it, again, not. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Lind, it was William Lind, 
who sort of crafted the intellectual framework for the theory for the modern world, right? We had that one article by Minococo earlier, Minocino, not Minococo, Minocino <laughs> earlier. <laughs> and Lind sort of took that strain of thought and ran with it. Um, uh, and according to uh, the academic article I, I cited earlier, um, he, Paul Lind, is, or William Lind, I always mix their names up when I, I've been preparing for this episode. Uh, Lind is sort of considered the authoritative work on uh, cultural Marxism. Because in 2004, he published a volume titled Political Correctness, A Short History of the Ideology, which was edited by none other other than William Lind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here is a quote. So I I also couldn't get a hold of that. The only places I could try and find a PDF of Lind's book were like sketchy Google results, like nationalists.org, which I did not want to click on. So. That seems like that click money would go somewhere. You don't want that click money yeah, to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so here is a, this is from um, Professor Hamin's, I'm going to say Hamin, that's probably how it is, uh, article, uh, which contains quotations from Lynn's book. So it's going to be a little bit confusing. Hopefully I'll be able to get you through it and it'll be clear. But it reads, quote, In his chapter in this volume entitled, What is Political Correctness?, William Lind, a military expert and intellectual conservative, evokes the all-powerful nature of a new state ideology in the United States. He called this political correctness and immediately associates it with cultural Marxism. That is to say, what he calls Marxism translated from economic into cultural terms. This was a transfer initially undertaken by the leaders of the Frankfurt School. Lind draws many parallels between classic, economically-based Marxism, and what he calls cultural Marxism. He explains that both aim to create a classless society, and so both are totalitarian ideologies. This point is crystallized. I, in- hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> hold, like, I look, I know this is someone describing what he said, but can we just say that this is a fucking nonsense? You know, there's like, something with, like, academic writing. You always want them to just be like, oh, this is fucking nuts. I'm going to describe it for you now. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Are you kidding? They're both trying to create a classless society. How? How does cultural Marxism try to create a classless society? Other than maybe you're describing the art they create as classless, as in lacking class. But that's not the same thing as creating a classless economic society. And if they're creating a classless economic society, that's just Marxism, baby. That's not (laughs) cultural Marxism. So fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Benedict, I promise you, if I ever go back to get a PhD, like I've I've thought about, you threatened uh, to do, threatened to do, I will write an article, and one of my headings will be, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me tell you what this fucker said. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. This is fucking nuts. <laughs> So the point is crystallized in comments such as, quote, the tota- and this is quoting from Lind, the totalian nature of political correctness can be seen on campuses where PC has taken over the college. Freedom of the speech, freedom of the press, and even of thought are eliminated. And then skipping down a little bit, quote, he continues, now quoting again from Lind, furthermore, explains Lind, the two Marxisms declare certain groups virtuous and others evil a priori. Classical Marxism defines workers and peasants as virtuous and the bourgeoisie, the middle class, and other owners of capital as evil. And I didn't copy in the poor. See, okay, I told you about this earlier. The version of this fucking article that I got, I can't even fucking copy paste from because I paid $18. I didn't pay 40 something bucks Uh, uh, for the goddamn full digital version. God, what a pain in the ass. I'm not going to bother. But he goes on. 
Linz goes on to talk about how cultural Marxism says whites are evil and that blacks are virtuous. Same thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and Pat Buchanan, as we've already talked about, it was him, I would say, more than anyone else, who helped to popularize the cultural Marxism conspiracy on the general right outside of fringe circles. Because for reasons I can't fucking comprehend, the right still pretends that he's not an open fucking Nazi. When they he love is. to do that. They, you know, let's talk about uh, allyships uh, on the right. <laughs> and, uh... Wow, that is their form of allyship, isn't it? Yep. Um, so Buchanan's book, Death of the West, which is the book that cites William Luther Pierce, uh, the leader of the neo-Nazi group National Alliance, uh, as well as, and like, I have it right here with me. I was flipping through the footnotes um, yesterday when I was writing up the episode, and I was just looking at some of the citations in here. There are far more than just William Luther Pierce who are open anti-Semites being cited in this. He cites Holocaust denier Paul Craig Roberts in the book. He cites um, uh, his buddy, Sam, uh, what's his name? Sam Hunt, Sam, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name, but Samuel something, uh, I'm blanking on. Sam Francis. He cites fucking Sam Francis in there who was an open anti-Semite. It's like, people, th this guy needs to be fucking have rotten fruit thrown at him. <laughs> Fucking do it. Fairly obviously, yeah. I, I really think that we should make Buchanan the new meme of, like, you know, the death trying to get the right thing out of the claw machine. I really think Buchanan <laughs> needs to be the next one. We got one of them, now we need Buchanan to be the next one. It's essentially, the book is, a write-up of the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory mixed with, like, great replacement and some more general bigotries mixed in there. I really do think we need to cover that book at some point. Like, we... It, it, it might be our next book after Ted Cruz because I've been going through it. And we've also talked about how it's on the fucking YAF list, the Young America's Foundation. Love that list. They have it listed on their website as like recommended reading for young conservatives. This book that is positively, by which I mean in, in a not negative way, citing to Nazis. Mm -hmm. They are recommending to conservative children. I really think we need to do it. I really do think we need to do it. Um, but Buchanan was one of the great popularizers of this conspiracy theory. In mm -hmm. Death of the West, as I mentioned, he wrote... <laughs> Not just this one, baby. He, uh, he was no. all over many conspiracy theories. All over. And this, this portion is from right before the part that I read you earlier. Uh, he, read, he wrote, quote, at Horkheimer's direction, which is just a funny name. Horkheimer's a great name. It's a funny name. The Frankfurt School sounds like Hamhock. Reminds me of like <laughs> a very pink, pink man. Yeah, the Frankfurt School began to retranslate Marxism into cultural terms. The old battlefield manuals were thrown out, and new manuals were written. To old Marxists, the enemy was capitalism. To new Marxists, the enemy was Western culture. And you can see how that is a now development of this idea. Moving it, moving it along, moving it along. New people, certainly, who might not have gone and read something. Yeah, but it hasn't Irish really changed, story. right? I mean, it, there's there's a certain amount of development idea, but not really. Like it's it's. Well, none of these guys are great thinkers. They it, don't have a ton. It certainly, of it certainly rhymes, if nothing else. <laughs> Buchanan also kept the game going for a pretty long time, right? He never jumped off the cultural Marxism bandwagon. He seems to have stuck with it for quite a while, uh, because in 2011 he appeared in a documentary titled cultural marxism the corruption of america cool. uh which is peru produced by a man and by produced i mean he's the only person whose name i can find connected to it named james yeager 
and his company, Matrix Productions, which was founded in 1980. So pre, pre-Matrix, pre-Matrix, okay. different Matrix. Uh, and his IMDb page is really, really fucking interesting to me because it lists these books, uh, or not these books, these uh, films that he's made. And all of these names mean something to me. I'm pretty sure I know what the topics of all of these are. Fiat Empire. Mm-hmm. That's about uh, coming off the gold standard and yep. not being shit. Federal yep. Reserve. Okay, cool. Federal yep. Reserve. Original Intent. Uh, that's how the founders wanted the constitution wanted to be yep, read. Yep, yep. Yep. Uh, cultural Marxism, which is the one I just talked yep. about. Uh, corporate Fascism. Uh, sure. Spoiler is another one. Uh, Molan, I, I never know how to pronounce this. Molan Labe, Yabe. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. The stupid fucking thing that shitbags put on a, the back of their car on a sticker. Um, I don't know that one. How do you not know it? It's a fucking thing that all the right wing shitbags say. Sure. Uh, and then beyond that, Midnight Ride. That one I don't have any idea. Mainstream. Also no idea. Last two, Good Guys with Guns and Unsustainable. Cool. Uh, and is that is, uh, about immigration or what? I don't like, know. I'm interested. I might be watching more of this guy's stuff. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And his IMDb bio, it was clearly written by him. Uh, after that list of films, it says, quote, featuring such experts as Ron Paul, Edwin Vieira Jr., G. Such Edward Griffin. As. G. Edward Griffin, who is the guy we've talked about before who wrote the conspiracy book about the Fed. Uh, yep. Pat, Pat Buchanan, Sam Chu. John Cones, Stuart Rhodes, Alex Jones, Larry Pratt, Sheriff Richard Mack, who I think you might remember, CSPOA? Vaguely, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pastor Chuck Baldwin, Ted Bear, Elias Alias. Elias Alias. Yeah. Elias Alias. Alias Elias, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lord Christopher Moncton. Who, I don't know if you know about Moncton. Moncton's great. Moncton's fucking great. I don't know a huge amount about Moncton, but yeah. Oh, we got to talk about Moncton someday. But just, it's just conspiracy shit. But Buchanan appears in the intro of this film. He's throughout the film, but the portion I'm going to play you is the intro. I'm also going to play you just like 10 seconds of how this the intro sounds here before I cut to where Buchanan starts his shit. Because this is, this is nuts. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. What the fuck is this? This sounds like a Steven Seagal fever dream. It is! It's like the sped up or reversed voice thing with a wind chime and then tinkly music and then a little bit later on the music changes like before Buchanan comes in and now it sounded like this. I'll play it for you for a second. Defending the values implied in the Constitution are in essence... We just got like heavy background. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's very, very strange. But so Buchanan comes in here. I'm going to cut right to where uh, he his portion picks up after the title screen. And here's what he has to say. This guy paid for a sound effects CD and he was going to fucking get his money's worth. You've got to use that. Yeah. I mean... The United States has undergone a cultural, moral... Why are you playing white noise over your guy talking? That is the white, weird... white, white noise. <laughs> Good uh... And religious revolution. And a militant secularism has arisen Jesus, in this country. Jesus, it's the fucking bingo card already. The intellectual and academic elite. Why is there a 
fucking wind chime. <laughs> it's not like he's about to say namaste. <laughs> why is there a fucking wind chime? Makes no sense. But in the 1960s, it captured the young in the universities and the colleges, and we had this great battle cultural war begin then nationally. And since then... By the way, I know exactly what this music is. This is music from the title screen of Age of Empires 2. <laughs> it's the only place this music makes any sense. If you will, secularism has, has really achieved dominance in the academic community and the intellectual community and the entertainment community in Hollywood, uh, among part of the, uh, the political community, but not the nation as a whole. However, it is much stronger than it was, and so this is the basis of the great cultural war we're undergoing uh, right now. And this militant, it is an anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-traditionalist revolution. Anti it's partly a, a sexual revolution has a lot to do with it and how people live. And so we are two countries now. We are two countries morally and socially and culturally and theologically and cultural wars do not lend themselves to peaceful coexistence. One side prevails or the other prevails. And the truth is that while the conservatives, in my judgment, we won the Cold War with political and economic communism, we've lost the cultural war with cultural Marxism, which I think has prevailed pretty much in the From United within. States. Or is now the dominant culture, whereas those of us who are traditionalists, we are, if you will, the counterculture. Okay. Conservatives <laughs> are the real counterculture, the baby. Rock. Yeah, I, I mean, it is pretty wild. Like, when did you say that was from? 2011. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, maybe that fat Nazi fuck is just ahead of his times. I think maybe, yeah. Maybe. Pat, Pat Buchanan is the thought leader of the right. He's oh. the opposite of Mark Levin, who is perennially like two years like behind. Like two cycles behind else. the times. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's what's going on there. There's also, okay, this this whole, I watched like a good 20 minutes of that documentary last night. I, I do recommend checking this out because it's trippy and fucking weird. They have all this stuff cut into it of like, just like hippies in the 60s dancing, swaying around. There's like psychedelic effects put into it. There's all this weird shit going on. It's, it's for, if you're weird like me, it's an entertaining watch. That's what I will say. There's also this incredibly weird but I think between the lines type of jab in there, at one of the Frankfurt School's intellectual uh, inspirations, Antonio Gramsci, right? Where the narrator starts to talk about how Gramsci was writing out the basics of this plan. And then there, the narrator says, where else but in prison? In a tone that is incredibly smarmy. And like, Gramsci was in prison because he opposed the Italian fascists. Yeah. Who sentenced him in a show trial. So I think we know where whoever put together that film came down on the side of fascism. I think mm. we just know. Uh, but, you know, Buchanan and his ilk, even though they are somewhat in the mainstream, I will say that a lot of this stuff is so below the radar that many people on the right might not know about a lot of it, right? There's still... They still can be shrugged off a little bit, uh, uh, Buchanan and, and those like him can. I don't think so. I mean, no, no I think, you know, I think anyone who, well, <laughs> again, it's, we probably have a different perception to the rest of the world. Like, but we've been talking about Buchanan for ages. Sorry, my mic drops. We have, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, I, especially, I mean, I, I, I remember bringing it up 
because I'd read John Gantz on Buchanan a while ago. He has an essay called, uh, I think, The Year the Clock Broke or The Year the Clock Stopped or something on 1993, mm-hmm. um, which is good. But yeah, I, I mean, Buchanan, I think we've seen as kind of a foundational figure for the modern right-ish conservative, like, paleocon resurgence. Oh, I, I have no doubt about that. I have yeah. no doubt. But I don't think there are a ton of people out there other than hardcore far right who have actually picked up and read some of his you know, death of the West. Okay. You know what? I got it. I got to take it back. It was a fucking bestseller. So yeah. I got to take everything I said back. You're, you're yeah there. He's just, it's just inexcusable. It's just yeah. inexcusable that his own side doesn't lock him in a pillory and pelt him with rotten fruit. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no excuse for it. I don't no, know why I'm trying to make it. an excuse I mean, they, they, I mean, lots of people believe Pat Buchanan, like they think he's right. Ultimately, Especially, I mean, you know, and again, like, we don't have time to get into it now because we're already too far into this episode. <laughs> but um, the the kind of neocon defeat in the wake of the Iraq war along the, uh, in the conservative parties around the world, uh, particularly, the Republican, particularly the Republican Party, and the resurgence of paleocon thinking, and we've defined this elsewhere. Again, we don't have time to go into it now, but I think the the fall of the neocons and the resurgence of the thinking of kind of Pat Buchanan and people like that has been marked, uh, even you know externally to the Trump phenomenon, because I don't think I think that's part of it, but I don't think he is particularly ideologically driven, other than having Fox News brain. Um, but I think Buchanan a lot of the thinking, is ideologically driven. Uh, yeah, the thinking to, yeah. on the right has been driven by Buchanan and people who have read Buchanan. Yeah, and I think when we get to our module on objectivism and Ayn Rand, there's going to mm. be a paleocon section in there because they they are connected. Yeah, uh, I don't think we've ever. I mean, we've defined it briefly, but I, I think we should probably do an episode on the rise and fall of the neocons at some point as well. Yeah. Well, paleocon and neocon, two different concepts in my mind, although connected. But yes, there will definitely be. There no, will obviously they're be. different. Sorry, they're the complete opposite of each other. That's the point. Yeah. They are different concepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. I, so the, the, the post-Cold War saw the rise of the neocons. Right. The interplay and then, between the two, I think, is what developed our modern right wing. Y- sure. But then they fell away after the Iraq war because it was largely seen as a failed movement, I think, at yep. that point. Yeah, anyway, I carry agree. on. Go ahead. So... Others in the 2000s, and I promise you we're near the end here, okay. uh, took a literal page from Buchanan's book and ran with the cultural Marxism conspiracy and probably helped propel it even further. Andrew Breitbart, in 2011, wrote the yep. book Righteous Indignation, Excuse Me While I Save the World, which argues that Saul Alinsky— Just before his large heart attack. <laughs> which argues that Saul Alinsky put cultural Marxism into rules for radicals— and Fucking that- Saul Alinsky. Ah. Uh. Again, Bright, we've ranted Breitbart about fucking hated Solinsky. Hated Solinsky, and but so, so do much, I. <laughs> well, but so much of the discussion of Alinsky on the right, like Mark Levin, right? We, he brought up Alinsky in his book, is because of Andrew Breitbart because yeah. he started that particular co- culture war outrage cycle. That was Breitbart who did that. Uh, but he also in that book argued that George Soros was the one funding the cultural Marxist project. Of course, um, it's become cultural Marxism has a catchphrase of Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, who obviously will be getting his own episode someday. He deserves it, if nobody else does. And we haven't really dealt with it at all today because I wanted to focus more on sort of the the development of the phrase, the intellectual roots, but it is obviously widely used by open white supremacists and what we called the alt-right for like four years Mm -hmm. until we realized that 
term was dumb, right? They're just Nazis wearing a suit and pretending that we don't realize they're all racists if we if they mm-hmm. dress nice and you don't use particular words. Uh, but the final person worth mentioning today in connection with the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory is Anders Breivik. On, yeah, isn't that elite? Yeah. Also, on, not fun. Not fun. Uh, on July 22nd, 2011, uh, Anders Breivik murdered 77 people in Norway, which began with a car bomb uh, within the government quarter of Oslo. And by the time that bomb went off, Breivik was on his way to a summer camp on the island of, fuck me, I can't pronounce this, Utoya, but there's a weird symbol. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't don't help know. you there. Uh, the summer camp was organized by one of the Norwegian, uh, by the Norwegian Labor Party and was for teenagers. About 600 were there that year. Um, and I'm not going to describe the details of the shooting. Uh, no. I've described a lot of shootings on this show. And usually, for whatever reason, I don't have an issue describing them. But this one has always gotten to me. Mm. And I think it has something to do with, like, there was, like, a made-for-TV movie or something about the shooting that I watched back then. And it just fucked me up. And this is one that I just... Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I mean, also, I, you know, I, I won't get into it, but, like, it was so calculated to mm-hmm. be, uh, to murder children, basically. Yeah. Like, uh, and also to distract, you know, there was a, a shooting and then a bomb as a distraction. And, like, it, it was really fucking calculated and bad. And, and, like, I can't tell anyone why I have no issue usually discussing all these shootings and things. Like, my, I just have, like, a heart of stone or something. Uh, this show has probably also helped desensitize me to other things as well. I don't mm-hmm. know whether that's good or bad, but yeah, this one, I, I just, I had no interest in describing the details here. It's, it's perfectly well known and I don't think we need to get into it. Um, but one thing that Brevik was shouting as he carried out the massacre that I will read is the quote, you will die today, Marxists, liberals, members of the elite. And, of course, we played on this show uh, Glenn Beck's disgusting response to that shooting. Um, He was not alone in being an absolute fucking creep. Mm -hmm. But, again, I always go back to how do these people have a career after doing shit like that. But more relevant to today's show is the 1,500-page manifesto that Brevik emailed to hundreds of email addresses shortly before the attack. It was titled 2028, A European Declaration of Independence. Benedict... The first chapter of that manifesto is a copy of William Lynn's Political Correctness, A Short History of the Ideology. That's what was at the very beginning of his manifesto. And Brevik's not alone, right? Uh, The Poway synagogue shooter blamed the Jews for propagating cultural Marxism. Uh, There was a neo-Nazi named Jack Renshaw who was convicted for plotting to assassinate an MP in the UK. Uh, who made a video for the BNP about cultural Marxism. Um, and it's been named in numerous mass shooters' manifestos, and it's not going to stop. Uh, I will say, for his credit, and maybe he deserves credit, I don't know enough about the guy, but after the Norway attack, Michael Minesino, Minesico, oh God, I don't know this, fuck, Minesino repudiated his own writing about cultural Marxism and wrote, quote, I still like to think that some of my research was validly conducted and useful. However, I see very clearly that the whole enterprise, and especially the conclusions, was hopelessly deformed by self-censorship and the desire to in some way support Mr. LaRouche's crack-brained worldview. (laughs) Crack-brained is great. I like that. So, Benedict, 2011 was 13 years ago now, as we sit here 
in the year of our Tom Holland 2024. Uh, the world knew the connection between this idea and rabidly anti-Semitic and racist thought. And, and yet, here we all are with mainstream books being published about the topic. Yeah, it's it's yeah, that was that was the hook to end the show that you yeah. just spoiled for us, Benedict. Well, it was uh, so well written that you led me right <laughs> to it. You know, it's it's just I I gotta say it's never been hidden. The fact that this and I, I started off the show being a little bit disingenuous to have this sort of you know end reveal thing that I don't think really paid off, but that there is a direct connection between the Nazi term cultural Bolshevism and cultural Marxism, in that the people who read Nazi propaganda in the 90s and today and who like it and follow it and believe it, they are the people who came up with and propagated the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. They are the very same people. They are spreading the same ideas. There is virtually no difference between cultural Marxism and cultural Bolshevism as it was used by the Nazis. And in 2017... A Trump advisor named Rich Higgins was at least thankfully fired from the National Security Council for publishing a batshit crazy memo. You might remember this story uh, about a plot on the part of individuals within the United States and within the government involving cultural Marxists and the Frankfurt School to bring down Donald Trump. Of course, in 2020... I don't remember it, but it sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Of course, in in 2020, the White House tried to have him hired back, so... uh, I don't know if we're actually making any progress there. And then, of course, last December, just this last year, Ron DeSantis defined woke as a form of cultural Marxism. Mm -hmm. The sort of fucking dead-brained, crack-brained is a great phrase, as we might say. Crack-brained. Crack-brained fucking shit that you would say if you are so dead inside and lost that you just don't care about reality. And then there is this fucking book. I'm going to hold it up again because I always do that. It's a habit. Yeah. Ted Cruz showing that the right have either put their fingers in their ears or just don't fucking care anymore. And, you know, I tweeted out earlier today, uh, and I I don't have it pulled up. I don't remember exactly what I tweeted, but it was something along the lines of that. I worry sometimes that when we call out racists or, or racist or bigoted comments from the right, it only ever backfires on us. Because they reflexively insist that no matter how egregious it is, it's fine, and immediately work to normalize it. And I think that's happened with cultural Marxism. It was called out. It was cited by one of the worst mass murderers in history. And they just walked past me. Oh, um, it's the Jews. Jews are doing it. Cultural Marxism. (laughs) Cultural Marxism. It's just... I'm a little bit sad by the end of this episode, Bennett, that I don't think it'll ever change. No, probably not. So um, I, I tried to give you an overview of cultural yep. Marxism, uh, the term and its usage in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I just want to end by asking you, do you think that Ted Cruz will have any more rational or connected to reality take on the cultural Marxist conspiracy theory than any of the folks we've talked about today? No, but can you do me a favor and mm-hmm. look at the index of the In, book yes i can the, uh and tell me uh go to the m go to the m's uh-huh, m. uh, and go to marcuse and Mar- see how many <laughs> see how many pages marcuse is on uh marcuse herbert uh only two that can't Ooh. be right why is it only listed on two that makes no sense 
Okay, well, actually, it's in XXIV through XXV, so I assume there's probably got to be that's something. A, that's an intro. Yeah. In the preface or something, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he's got to be in there. And then it says one. It says one in, so the, right the, in the body of the text, page 221. That's Benedict, you want to know how many citations there are for mobs? One, two, three, four, five, six, cool. seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, forty, fifty, sixteen, seventeen times the word mobs gets cited. Marcuse? Only once. Interesting. Okay. Only once. Uh, but I am excited, Benedict. I think this book is gonna be a great return to form. Uh E T V R N. I told you earlier that that is okay, Benedict. That is how I have return written in my notes right in front of me. That's how I have it written right in front of me. Because uh, I figured I would make that joke, but you cut me off before I could. Um, but I think it's going to be great because it's just it's something we've seen in the past. It is the single largest genre of conservative book, which is a long screed just jumping from one culture war grievance to the next, which uh, after Holly, I'm pretty excited for. I'm pretty yeah. excited for, if I'm going to be honest. But uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Hey, Kevin, I became a member to say you are correct about Brennan Lee Mulligan, Brian Smith, Sam Walsh, Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Teach Peace, Dr. Milmini and Len William Swinwomley, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Danny Rosari, Reject Modernity, Embrace Tiny Laptop. I love that one. New Buildings Good. Are a Globalist Conspiracy, Dapper Dinosaur, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson Fetro, Stephen DeBow, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Runak Seti, Amy Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S., New Year, Same Old Sad Bastard. Little Fl- I did the thing again, Benedict. I yep. did the thing where I forgot to filter. That's fine. Everyone gets a shout out. Everyone's in the list now. Damn it. Huh. Where was I? Uh, Amy Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S., New Year, Same Old Sad Bastard, Little Flick, Oh, Benedict, what art thou, Bright Spot? Nothing this week. Nothing. It's this tough. is just a bad week. Flack Weasel, Sadie Sister Wednesday, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when our guest will be America's premier defense attorney, Alina Haba. Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Isaac Horvat, Clifton Stuckey, Paws, a restless native, a baby, wah, Veronica Forker, Polly Hauptman, Melissa C., J.D., George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam and Skell, Janet Yutter, Stefan, 140 pounds of street meat. <laughs> That's why. too much street meat. <laughs> Utah Outcast. Uh... 140 pounds of street meat. Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Baka! Uh, Allison, David, Megan Ruth, Hot Wasabi, I'm Here for the Knowledge Fight, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blast Me, Jay Reynolds, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, Taro Tacannon, and Balls Waters. And thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, I like street meat. Goodbye. Goodbye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.